Tonight on Huckabee, Arizona GOP gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake, comedian Air Force veteran Dennis Caxiola, Brigadier General Jeffrey McCarter, Grammy-nominated Avalon Worship. That's Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Ah, uh, thank you, everybody, and welcome. Well, at least one race I did get right. My daughter, Sarah, did win in the landslide to become the first ever woman to be governor of Arkansas. Kind of happy about that. It also marks the first time ever in the country when a father-daughter both served a state as governor. I'm very proud of her, and quite frankly, I believe as I've said to this audience and many people, she will satisfy her supporters and she will surprise those who didn't vote for her. The bums. Just kidding. You know, I thought I was a pretty effective governor, but I quite frankly hope that she's even better. And she probably will be. But I got to tell you, when I'm wrong, I try to admit it. And I was wrong about my view that there would be a huge red tsunami in the 2022 elections. It was evident to me that since 70% of the American people thought we were on the wrong track, since most American families have been devastated by the highest inflation rate in 42 years, with gasoline costs almost double from when Joe Biden took office, and with the cost of groceries skyrocketing, I said, hey, voters are just gonna say, enough of this. And I also thought that the dramatic increase in violent crimes, illegal border crossings, over 5 million since Joe Biden took office, as well as the deep decline of the value of people's pension funds due to the downward spiral of the stock market, I said, man, voters will figure it's time for new and hopefully better ideas. And with the Democrats pushing for wacko science that results in the mutilation and chemical castration of children, all in the name of transgender care, and pushing abortion of an unborn baby right up until the very moment of birth. I mean, I really believe that even Long-time Democrats who aren't crazy would decide that their party had embraced too many policies that were detrimental to their lives and families, and they'd vote accordingly. Well, clearly, I was wrong. Now, I think Republicans will likely barely control the House, and they probably will end up with a tiny majority in the Senate. But what was expected as a red wave became more of a pink trickle at best. Look, I've realized that most Americans get their news from social media and the mainstream media, and they have become a monolithic wall protecting Democrats and the most radical cultural views of our nation. I realize many voters don't watch or listen to conservative voices, and they're overwhelmed with the fake news that Republicans sometimes say are a threat to democracy. Of course, Republicans are named a threat to democracy. And these are the voters who are not aware, or maybe they don't care, that the bureaucrats of the establishment of government, especially those at the top of the FBI and Justice Department, are weaponizing their power to intimidate and aggressively 
and forcefully do things like arrest an 87-year-old concentration camp survivor who's pro-life, protested at an abortion clinic, but they do nothing to punish those who firebomb and vandalize crisis pregnancy centers, which provide real medical services and baby supplies to women and their children. Well, the problem with the less than stellar results of the midterm elections is not that the Democrats opposed our policies. Hey, that's what we can expect them to do. But I realize Republicans were facing a triple threat of the monolithic media, the bully bureaucracy of our own government, and the reliable partnership that they had with the National Democrat Party. They preached that parents speaking out about the abuse of their children were somehow domestic terrorists, and that parents who raised their children to believe in two genders of male and female were racist, fascist, homophobe, transphobe, or bigots. And for some reason, they convinced voters that people who riot and burn their Democrat-run cities are mostly just peaceful protesters, and that to react to that, we ought to defund the police because they're evil and there's no real crime threat in America. But let me be real clear. This is not a time to give up. It is a time to fire up. There's no room for a retreat. It's time for renewal. I would never suggest that we stop voting in fact, I would urge that we don't stop caring and fighting against evil policies that are destroying America and the hopes that we have for our kids and grandkids. Give up? No way. I say gear up, speak up, sign up, and get up and join the fight for the soul of America. Well, speaking of fighting for the soul of America, you are not going to want to miss my next guest. She has been a lightning rod for the leftist establishment media, but has done a phenomenal job pushing back against their slants and their slams. Carrie Lake is after the break. You're not going to want to miss this. We'll be right back. Huckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow @GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Arizona is still counting hundreds of thousands of ballots. Yes, still counting as we head into the weekend after election day where the governorship and a U.S. Senate seat hang in the balance. Carrie Lake is the Republican candidate for governor, and she certainly has some big plans for Arizona that really will upset the Democrat establishment in that state. Here is my conversation with Arizona's Carrie Lake. Carrie, there is no other race in America that I have been more focused on except one, and I bet you know which one that is, but your race has intrigued me and quite frankly, there's no candidate that has impressed me more than you have in the entire country. Uh, I believe you're going to be the next governor of Arizona, but why is it taking so long? 
well, we need to reform our elections out here in Arizona. That's why. And we probably should have done it after 2020, but it didn't get done. It will get done when I'm governor. And we have a, a, a situation where um, we accept mail-in ballots right up until the last second. And we vote for pretty much a month in Arizona rather than just election day. And because of that, it really drags things out, unfortunately. And one of the great things is we had such huge participation on election day, Mike, that we had an overwhelming number of people who didn't trust the mail-in ballot system in the drop box or the mailbox. They wanted to hand deliver it on election day. And we had a record number of votes that came in that way. 401,000 hand-delivered mail-in ballots on election day. And those votes have yet to be counted. Those votes are going to go very heavily to uh, me and the other Republicans that are running. Those are people who are distrustful of the way the elections are run, and they haven't even begun to uh, to count any of those. Do you think there's something that was sort of planned to hold counting those votes so it would appear that the Democrats are winning when, in fact, most everybody assumes that these day of votes will lean more Republican, probably put you and Blake Masters over the top, and then they will be able to say, oh, look, there must have been shenanigans going on. Was there any nefarious ideas behind that? On election day, knowing that our hardcore Republicans, our MAGA Republicans were going to show up to vote in person, more than a third of our polling locations had issues with the machines not working, had long lines of more than two, sometimes three hours, and uh, the machines weren't working, the tabulation machines weren't working. And so we had serious problems. I don't know if it was a nefarious act or just incompetence, but regardless, we have to change it. We can't have the whole world waiting on Arizona, the whole United States waiting on Arizona to find out where the balance of power lies. You are the most articulate and strong, forceful candidate that I've seen on the Republican ticket in this cycle. And I think you shocked a lot of people with how effective you have been taking on the establishment in Arizona, um, you know, I hope you understand that across the nation, there's an extraordinary sense of support for you, not just because of the gu gubernatorial race in Arizona, but because you've articulated the message of Republicans so very effectively, and we thank you. Well, that's that's very nice coming from you because I've always thought of you as one of the more um, authentic politicians. I'm sure you hate that word, but you're just so authentic. And, and it's kind of a Midwestern quality, although I know you're from the South. I'm from the Midwest. And I've always been able to relate to people. And that's why I got into journalism. I wanted to tell people stories, get to know people, wrap my arms around the issues and dig for the truth. And so I have a 30-year career as an honest journalist. And I think that has really helped me as I get into politics, even though I hate to consider myself a politician. I'm really just a mama bear who wants to do better. And I want to see Arizona uh, be its best. And that's why I jumped into it. I'm articulating common sense policies, America first policies. And so when you're speaking the truth and articulating common sense it's actually pretty easy. It's when you have consultants talking in your ears, telling you what to say, that I think um, you don't come off as very authentic or relatable. And I don't have any, any consultants. We never hired consultants to tell us what Arizonans wanted. I knew in my heart what Arizonans needed and want because I am an Arizonan and I've been covering this state for so long. Was it frustrating 
having been a career journalist, to have to fight people that were playing like they were journalists, but they were really advocates for the other side. Very frustrating, especially because I worked with a lot of these people. I, I was colleagues with them. I mean, we worked maybe at competing stations or outlets, but I just figured their disdain for President Trump caused them to behave the way they did. And then I realized, no, it's really a bigger amount of disdain, I think, for the conservative movement. And so even people who I once considered friends have not treated me very well. But that's okay. I mean, this is how it works. And I've really enjoyed um, exposing the fake news and explaining to people how they operate. You know, we started early on by doing these interviews and bringing our own camera and our own microphones and actually recording the press while they are interviewing me. And it's been really fun to expose them. And you, you hear their loaded questions full of an agenda that they're pushing. The cool thing, Mike, is that Along the way, 525 days of campaigning, by the end of this campaign, I noticed that the press was starting to ask actually fair questions. They kept their opinion out of the question. They didn't do the whole soliloquy in advance of the question. And I feel like I might be retraining them on how to be journalists. We'll see what happens. But if that were the end result, then I would consider myself successful because that would be really great to retrain a few people on how to be honest journalists. It would be a gift to the nation for sure. Carrie, one final question. When will we get the results in Arizona and find out that you are the next governor? Your guess is as good as mine, to be honest. These people are moving at a snail's pace. Unfortunately, they count the votes that come in very, very early, which are typically the Democrat mail-in ballots, and they punish people, really, who vote on Election Day. They count those votes last. I think it should be the other way around. If you vote on Election Day, those are the ballots that should be counted first, and the mail-ins should be counted after that. That's my humble opinion. And I think it's an accurate one as well. Carrie Lake, what a pleasure to uh, be able to visit with you again. Uh, I, I'm just one of your strongest fans in the country. I've watched from a distance at the most effective campaign in the country. You are a wow. rock star among us. And uh, I can't wait to see what happens when you lead Arizona. Thank you for joining us. Wow. That's so nice. And I, coming from you, that means uh, so much because I, I consider you to be a rock star as well. And I just want people to know they're watching. Do not be frustrated. I really do believe that God has a plan. And, and I prayed a lot before this election, fearing that things could go wrong. And I just said, God, you, you make this election go whatever way you want. We know we have a movement. We know it's so strong and powerful. We know we're going to win. If this election needs to be complicated, if it needs to be dragged out, if it needs to expose more of what's wrong with our election system, then use us to make that point because we want to get in and do good things for Arizona. And that includes reforming our elections and bringing back honest elections that people can once again have faith in. Hmm. So this is all part of the process. We're fine with it. We will prevail and we will do great things for this state. Carrie Lake, sure. next governor of Arizona, all the best to you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Governor. You're going to want to follow Carrie Lake on social media if you're not already. Head over to Huckabee.tv, where, as always, we've got the links to connect you. Hey, Keith, why don't you connect us with the rest of the show? Well, get ready for the wild and wacky side of the news on In Case You Missed It. Then the music of Grammy-nominated group Avalon Worship straight ahead on Huckabee.
I'll tell you, we're going to have to get the fire marshal in here because this place is on fire. You know why? Because Trey Corley and the Music City Connection has lit this place up with some amazing music. Let's give them hey! a Well, from dumb protesters to designer ketchup stains, we got the biggest strips in the news on In Case You Missed It. Rick Schoen was running for mayor of Winnipeg, Canada. He made a speech announcing his plan to reduce bicycle theft. And 82 minutes later, his bicycle was stolen. No. You can't make this stuff up. Yeah. His plan now includes the death penalty for bicycle thieves. Yeah. Hey, that's what he gets for trying to put bicycle thieves out of work. I just want to apologize to Winnipeg if this story makes the city sound bad. Hey, but look at it this way. In New York City, keeping your bicycle for 82 minutes would be a new world record. That, that would do it, yeah. Yeah. Now, from our whatever floats your boat desk comes this story out of Panama. A company called Ocean Builders created a $1.5 million self-sustaining, eco-restorative floating house called the Sea Pod. It's kept afloat by metal tubes full of air. Well, theoretically. Because during the big unveiling with all the people watching and the cameras rolling, <laughs> oh, no. there was a Titanic malfunction. The pod started filling with water. And the sea pod began tilting sideways, Ooh. and VIPs rushed to flee the sinking house. I imagine much <laughs> like you saw congressional Democrats fleeing their houses this week. Anyway. Yeah. Well, the makers, <laughs> a little slow on the uptake out there, but they finally coming around. The makers tried to slant the story by assur assuring the media that the sea pod is eco-friendly, so there was zero contamination oh, to the marine environment. Sure. Mm. And that's good because if my house started sinking into the ocean, my first thought would be, boy, I sure hope this doesn't make the fish sick. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> well, there have been some idiotic protests lately from throwing soup at a Van Gogh to dumping milk on a supermarket floor and then crying about it. But we may have found some even dumber protesters. I say we may have. Police in Burnhamouth, England, were called when a drunken man staged a protest outside a hotel. He was lying down on the sidewalk protesting because the hotel refused to let him into his room. The cops took him away. Not to jail. No, no, no. They took him to the hotel down the street that he was actually checked into. Oh, no. <laughs> oh man. And, and Keith, I'm so sorry to have to keep repeating this disclaimer, but no... It was not Hunter Biden. Was not <laughs> I knew it was coming. I knew yeah. it was coming, yeah. Yeah. Well, in Paris, some green activists protested by gluing their hands to the street. But the cops there knew that the kind of glue they had didn't stick to the surface, so they just yanked their hands off of it. And I watched this. See that girl? She's completely unharmed. But now I want you to watch this guy. He's going to fake being injured. Oh! Oh! <laughs> Now, there's a Frenchman who learned how to act by watching Jerry Lewis movies. Oh. This is oh. the Jesse Smollett of Paris, I think. Nope. <laughs> anyway, speaking of weird, uh, and especially weird ketchup news, a woman in Dundee, England, got all shook up when she looked in the bottom of her 
McDonald's ketchup packet, and she saw the face of Elvis. Yeah, right there. Oh, man. That's him. It does look like him, honestly. Would you dip your French fry into Elvis? I don't think so. I don't think so, no. No, I mean, that's a sacred thing there. You just don't do that. Anyway, here's the word you've been looking for. Finally. Finally. Yes, yes. Finally, our video of the week. (laughs) Fergie the camel lives in an animal rescue in Las Vegas, and she loves French fries. She'd have dipped hers in Elvis ketchup. (laughs) Anyway, she must have been in the French Foreign Legion. I bet she was. So her handler regularly walks her through the drive-through at In-N-Out Burger for fries. Look at that. I mean, this really happens. Now, it does seem strange here, but this is what all fast food drive-throughs in the Middle East do look like, right? Anyway, the camel is such a loyal customer. Wow. I think they ought to give her free fries on hump day. What do you think? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah? And I would be a little concerned about... Following a camel through the drive-thru. I would uh, go in front of the camel. Yes. Never. Like following a horse or a cow. There's just certain things you don't want to run into there. Well, having walked a mile for that camel joke, we're going to end it right there. But remember, until next time, we read the news. Well, up next, a special Veterans Day Huck's Hero Salute. And still to come, comedian and veteran Dennis Gaxiola. And it's all coming up on Huckabee. This month, Operation Christmas Child is in full swing. And you can partner with Samaritan's Purse by filling a simple box with simple gifts that'll put a huge smile on the face of a kid who has never received a gift before. Through your love, they're going to experience the love of Christ. So I hope you'll go to Samaritan's Purse website or call them today to be part of Operation Christmas Child. Thanks and God bless. Veterans Day is a time when we salute members of the United States military, all of whom really are our heroes. So tonight, we want to focus on an amazing organization founded by veterans that's serving children in Kenya in every way imaginable. And that's why they're this week's Huck's Heroes. This all started when my dad was a chaplain in Vietnam, and he had the opportunity to go minister to some people at a leper colony. That's when he decided that he wants to dedicate the rest of his life to helping the most vulnerable people. My dad returned from Vietnam to pastor a church in Muskogee, Oklahoma, and all the time that my dad was the pastor of that church, the idea was still there that he wanted to have uh, an organization to help the most vulnerable people. And that's when Each One Feed One was started with my mom and dad. And they brought me into the bedroom and said, after my eighth grade year, and said, hey, son, we're going somewhere far away. And I said, where? And they said, Africa. And so they moved then our family to Africa. My dad wanted to find out where the most vulnerable people were in Kenya. He was told that the Raqqa is where that group is that needs the most help. 
So he went down to Thraka, discovered that the people were hungry, discovered that the people were sick from cholera, and that he had to address their physical needs before he could address their spiritual needs. So we built a clinic to address that. And we had feeding programs to address the hunger. Kids were not going to school, so we built a school. And all of that, including a church, is there today. Sadly, my dad passed away in 2018, but the vision he had is still alive. Please welcome the chairman of the board of Each One Feed One, Brigadier General Jeffrey McCarter. General, great to have you here. I'm sure that when you were a little kid, your dad popped in one night at bedtime and said, hey, we're moving to Africa from Oklahoma. You probably thought, we're what? That must yeah. have been quite the culture shock. Yeah, completely. I, I had no idea. And, and, and it's really the farthest place in my mind was Africa. Yeah. And, and that's why I said, where, Africa? And, and, it, and actually, that's where we were going. Now, you look back on all those years, it not only had a great impact on you as a child, but as an adult, you've continued to keep Each One Feed One, uh, a ministry that is still working in Kenya. Thousands of children's lives have been forever transformed. Do you still sometimes just think, you know, my dad had a real vision, and I'm so glad we're keeping it going? I, I did, and I do. And it motivates me and it motivates my family to keep doing this mission and keep working. Um, you know, and before I get into a, a, any more governor, if you don't mind, I am a, currently a general in the United States Army. And so these are my words mm. and not of the United States Army or the Army Reserve. But I'll tell you right now, I love being a soldier. Mm. And it, I'm so passionate about it. And I just want to tell all the veterans today that have served in the past, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for serving. Amen. Amen. With, without the veterans, we're not free. I mean, they, they're the ones who bought it for us. And I think it's so important to remember that. And I think it's also important to realize that being a soldier and serving the military did not keep you from exercising your personal faith in your own time and in your own way and to keep this extraordinary Each One Feed One going. By the way, uh, I know your dad has passed, but your mother is here in the audience, Linda and we are very glad that she and your wife are here, and we want to salute her as well, because it was as much her vision as it was your dad's. Exactly how do you go about it? You get donations and funds. Then what do you do with them? How do you go into these villages and, and make sure that the food gets to the people? Because we hear about yeah. these charities that they raise money and they send food, never gets off the dock, never gets to the people who need it. How do we know yours will? My brother, Kyle McCarter, and his wife, Victoria, are working in Kenya just about half the year. And, and really what they're doing right now is they're managing a feeding program because of the drought that's going right on right now in Kenya. Mm. And um, I can tell you right now that Kyle McCarter is not going to let one penny be spent in the wrong way. Uh. And um, I, I'm, I'm not sure you know, but he was the last ambassador to Kenya. Um, I, you know, I look up to my, my brother in so many ways. I'm so proud of him. He's done such a great job in that position. And um, 
he is and his wife Victoria are, are really a big reason why each one feed one over the years has been so successful. And I, that's the confidence I have that the money is being spent the right way. I, I love the idea, each one feed one. So it's not like, okay, I'm personally going to feed the whole nation of Kenya. That's not no. realistic. What is the goal? How do you challenge people to do exactly what? And how can they help? If people say, I, I could do that. What, sure. what do they do? Well, number one, please pray for us. I think that's the most important thing. And uh, second, we need uh, financial uh, partnership yeah. from a lot of different people. We have, we're feeding five different area schools in addition to the campus that you see in the pictures, hmm. five area schools with kids that are hungry today. And we have 68 other schools that need help. So 41 cents a day will feed a child. 300 kids are in an average school. So $125 feeds that whole school for a day. $125 feeds all the school. I'm amazed you could do that for 41 cents a day. I mean, that's efficiency. That's, I mean, and I, and I think it's something people can feel good about in being able to help. I know that there's um, an extraordinary challenge because sometimes people only think of the people in their own community. But halfway around the world, these children are precious to God as any children that live in our neighborhoods. And we just don't even understand the depth of deprivation and hunger in places like that, do we? No, and that's the essence of what Each One Feed One is, is sharing the love of Christ, making sure through not just feeding, but health care and education. And, and we have a, a reach into the community that most don't because we have so many kids that go to the school. We have uh, 18,000 very poor people go through our health clinic each year. And it's just, there's a lot of things going on in Tharaka, and a big part of that is Each One Feed One's partnership with the community, helping the people. I have a feeling your dad looks down from heaven and is very proud of you and your brother and your entire family. And it's one of the reasons we wanted your family and your organization to be our Huck's hero tonight. General, it is an honor to have you here. And a reminder that veterans not only serve on the battlefield, but they take battles that need to be fought in other places and in other ways, and in this case, to get food, medical care, education, and the gospel of Christ to people who otherwise would never have any of those things. Thank you, and God bless you for what you do. Thank you. Thank you. We are so grateful for the ministry of Each One Feed One and the fantastic work that they're doing to help these children. If you'd like to help support their mission, and I have a feeling a lot of you will, if you'll go to Huckabee.tv, we will connect you to Each One Feed One. Right now, we're going to give Keith Bilbrey a mission, and his mission, tell us what's coming up. Well, it's time to laugh with comedian and Air Force veteran Dennis Gaxiola coming up next on Huckabee. TV and get your very own Made in the USA Huckabee mugs, t-shirts, and more.
Welcome back. Uh, tonight's comedian is one of America's funniest, clean Christian comics. He has appeared on over 20 national TV shows. He's got two popular drive-hour comedy specials. They've acquired over 150 million views. A lot of people have been watching. The latest one he's got is called Bible School Dropout. He also is a preacher's kid and an Air Force veteran. Would you please give a big welcome to Dennis Gaxiola. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you. What a beautiful audience. Governor, I love the diversity. Oh, you guys have young white people and old white people and tall white people and short white people. This is beautiful. Where are my veterans at? Where, we got to do a room check. Where's my Army veterans at? Army, give the Army a round of applause. <laughs> Navy, where's the Navy at? Where's my... Give it up for the Navy. <laughs> Old Navy, anybody wearing Old Navy? <laughs> Marine Corps, where are the Marines? Shh, calm down. I have no Marine jokes. Watch, once a Marine, they don't know when the war ends. I leave them alone. <laughs> An Air Force, where are my Air Force brothers and sisters? Give it up for the Air Force. We were this close to being in the military, huh? <laughs> oh, you don't realize how tough you aren't until you get out of the Air Force. Then we all go to the VA. I never forget when I took my physical. I saw an older Marine limp by. He goes, Vietnam, took a bullet. I see an Army soldier go by. He goes, Gulf War, shrap metal. I'm standing there with the wrist brace. But I still wanted to act tough. I said, U.S. Air Force, carpal tunnel. <laughs> Email, 05. So uh, the biggest part of my uh, going on right now in my life is I remarried my first wife. We got married young, divorced young, and look at God. 23 years later, we got back together, and uh, we're, we're living our best life. Uh, we have two anniversaries now. <laughs> the ladies laughed. All the men felt my pain right there. Governor, did you know there's an anniversary gift chart out there? Yeah. Most men know 25 is silver, 50th is golden, but there's an actual chart that'll tell you what gift for every year. First year is paper, 50th is golden. They got it wrong from the get-go. <laughs> First year should be golden. You still like each other. <laughs> 50th should be paper. You make it that long, you just write a note. We made it. <laughs> No man wrote this gift chart. If it was a man, it was an old school Mormon. Back when they had multiple wives, they needed a gift chart. The wives are getting jealous. How come she got a better gift? Well, she's been here longer, Hannah. Okay.
too soon? <laughs> We've been back together five years. That's wool on the gift chart. We had never divorced. That's 37 years. That's not just China. That's bone China. That's that high-end China. I can afford wool. I don't know about that bone China. So I compromised. I got her a wool sweater made in China. <laughs> ladies, we get it. You're smarter than us. Clap if you agree, man. The ladies have instincts that we don't have. But all we ask is let us be right every once in a while. Sir, wouldn't you like to win one argument a year? Just one. But don't let us be right when you know we're wrong. We're turning left. You know we should go right. Go ahead, Columbus. <laughs> I almost got shot for not listening to my wife. Not by her, you know. She's Puerto Rican. She would have cut me. But... I was doing prison ministry, and number one rule in California, no blue jeans. All the inmates wear blue jeans. I'm getting dressed. My wife says, why are you wearing blue jeans? I said, they're black. She said, they're blue. I said, they're black. She said, go ahead. <laughs> I get to the correctional facility, and the guard says, can I help you? I said, yes, uh, yes, ma'am. I'm, I'm here to speak at the chapel this morning. She said, oh, not today. You're wearing blue jeans. And in that light, I could see my jeans were blue. This prison is five minutes from Costco. I have 30 minutes to go to Costco, buy a pair of black pants, get back. The parking lot's about four blocks away, so I take off running. I have 30 minutes. By the way, if you're leaving the prison and you're wearing blue jeans, <laughs> do not run. And that's what I heard from the guard tower. Do not run. <laughs> I assumed he was talking to somebody on the other side of the fence. So I kept running. The next thing I heard was, if you continue to run, we will be forced to shoot. I looked up and said, me? He said, yes, you. In the blue jeans. You should listen to your wife. <laughs> Thank you very much. Good night. God bless you. Great to have you thank here. You, sir. Thank you, Governor. You know, we're, we're especially glad that we had you tonight. An Air Force veteran, you've served our country. Yes, sir. Now, did you get into comedy when you were in the Air Force? A young man in leadership school dared me to go on stage because I kept making fun of him, and he was the base uh, talent show winner as a comedian. And uh, he literally changed the the path of my life because I retired in 2005, and now I go into prisons. My dad was. But a I bet you don't wear blue jeans when exactly. you Exactly. Yeah. No more blue jeans. Uh, uh, I go to marriage retreats. Um, my dad was a heroin addict saved in prison, mm. and the, he went on to preach the gospel for 40 years. And now I do, I do those kind of events, so God is good. We are so glad you're here. Thank you for your service to the country. Thank you, sir. Thank you for being here. And if you want to see more, go to Huckabee.tv for all the links directly to him. Right now, Keith, not a joke.
Can we pack even more entertainment into this show? If we can, tell us about it. I think we can. Grammy-nominated vocal group Avalon Worship talks to Mike and performs next on Huckabee. For comfort food chef Stephanie Wise and the incredible illusions of Jason Huddy. Well, tonight's musical guests were famous as the Grammy nominated vocal group Avalon, with mega hits like Can't Live a Day and Testified to Love. But at heart, they're all church worship music leaders. And now following the music that they love, they've taken on a new name that's also the name of their latest album. Please give a big welcome to Avalon Worship. Great to have you guys here. So you get a new name, you got a new album, and a lot of things have happened to be Grammy nominated. I mean, that's a big deal. But what I find amazing is that you still lead worship in churches you haven't just said, we're just going to abandon that and just go on the road all the time. Why is that? Well, I think we have such a love for the church. My father was a pastor for over 50 years. Greg grew up in a pastor's home. Jody's father pastored at one point. Danny grew up in church. So doing church music is what we've always done. And we have been privileged and honored to do the CCM side of things, but coming back to our roots and uh, we lead worship every weekend so it was a natural extension of what we do. So we we were thrilled to get to do a worship project. And it's been great. We're singing songs uh, on records that we do every weekend in our home churches. Do you think that maybe because you're still ministering in churches, it gives you a different perspective and a more personal connection as you're writing music and recording music? It's coming from the realities of your life and ministry rather than just the sterile environment of a studio. Absolutely. You, talk, you need to tell about here, because Greg wrote one of the songs on our record that we're actually doing in a few minutes, uh -huh. and you need to tell them about that. Yeah. So. Yeah, so when you, um, when you come to church on a Sunday morning, let's say it's an example, as we all do, hopefully. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jody, do you still go? Yeah. I want to make sure. I, I, right? Occasionally, yes. To church every I'm other sure Sunday. Greg does, but yeah. yeah. But a lot of times you come in, there's so much going on in your life. You're, you're, you've got your kids, like we have three daughters. We all got, we've all got kids. You got your job, you got all these things going and you show up on a Sunday morning, let's say, and um, you're, sometimes you're just empty. You're running on empty by that time. And so I was with a couple of songwriter friends of mine and I prayed, I said, guys, can we pray? Cause I'm supposed to be writing a song and I got nothing, I got nothing. <laughs> and so I said, so we had a prayer. And then when my buddy says, let's write that. And I said, write what? He goes, we're fine to come here empty as long as we leave with you. Because mm. he makes all the difference. Mm. That's beautiful. And it's just sometimes the, the simple things of life that create the songs, I guess. Oh, yeah. Now, you are the one that has boys. They all have girls, you've got <laughs> yeah. boys. I also have a girl. Oh, you have a girl? My oldest is a girl, and then my youngest two are boys. A little different there, isn't it? Yes, indeed. Well, and she has youngins, too. Like, all under, what, the age of... Yeah, right? we, yeah. We're, we call that the thick of it. Now, that'll give you some inspiration for gospel music. <laughs> <Yeah. won't it? laughs> 
<laughs> has that, every day. <laughs> I was going to say that that ought to if if it doesn't give you inspiration for songwriting, I'm sure it enhances your prayer life. Yes. God, you better help me. I swear, these kids. I <laughs> every day. Every day. Yes. What what is it that you hope people will receive from this new album, Avalon Worship, Jody? Oh gosh, I, you know the the interesting thing is is we've been making records for. I mean, 26 years, 27 years now. And the special thing about this record for me in particular is that um, I feel like that we not only pour our hearts into it, but it feels like there's a connection. um, There's a connection with God through this music that not that we haven't had that in the past, but it's, I don't know, it's more intimate in some ways. And it, and it, and you know, we say it's worship music and everything that we do is always worship. Yeah. But this record in particular, there is something very sacred and very, um, I don't know, real and authentic about it, I guess. Mm. And, um, and, and I, like you said earlier, I think it's because it comes from a place where we all are right now in our lives. So my, our hope is that people take that feeling away, that they feel like that they've had an experience with God and not heard great music from Avalon, but that God's met them where they are and I think it's going to be great. Our audience, uh, both in uh, the studio as well as uh, on TV, are going to love the music of Avalon Worship. And Keith, group's getting ready to sing. While they do, why don't you tell everyone in the audience how they can get the music from the new album of Avalon Worship. For links to their music, tour information, and more, just go to Huckabee.tv, where you can also watch an exclusive performance of the song here. Now, performing Rattle with Trey Corley at the Music City Connection, Here's Avalon Worship. Sound of 